Recently, we have finished up our, our preaching series on rest, right? So we talked about rest for a couple of weeks. I think that was important for us. Last week, we talked about a vision for us individually and, and as a body about hospitality and wisdom and generosity. And then today, we begin a, a new month, and we begin a new preaching series, and we're going to look at life lessons from the Bible, things, things that we learn from different people in the Bible. So we're going to kind of do some character sketches, but also just listening, really listening for what God has to say from us as we learn about these different, different people in the Bible. Today we're going to start with, um, we're going to start with Mary Magdalene, and, and we're going to be listening for what God have us to hear about the life of, of Mary Magdalene. And then in, um, in the coming weeks, we're going to look at, let me think, Samson and Stephen, Ruth and Peter. And then I'm going to take a vacation. So I'll be on your own at that point from my sermon series. But we're going we're to do that, uh, looking at these different people, listening for what God has to say to us together from these, uh, from these folks in the Bible. And yeah, the question is up on the screen. This will kind of drive us today um, thinking about Mary Magdalene, but have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered if, if you could be used by God in a meaningful way? Have you ever wondered that? Yeah, maybe you have, right? <laughs> I don't know. It's a tough crowd this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever wondered if you could be used by God in a meaningful way? And, and to be honest, when I look around, you know, I, I see, I mean, just in, just in our church, I see believers who have been like on mission for the cause of Christ for years and years. You know, I think about people like um, Paul and Ruth Philippi who have been, I don't know, 50, 60 years serving in Guatemala, people like that. And I think, wow, yeah, I wish I could be like that. God's really using them, or, or I, I read, you know, or I follow notable preachers like, and writers like John Piper, Tim Keller, or Vody Bauckham, and man, like people who are really, you know, seem to be making this outsized impact um, in the world through their faith, and, and I look at them and I think, man, there's no way that God would use just a, just a distinctively average person like me for his mission. You know, I, I mean, someone like me, my life has been messed up at, at times. Would God use me in a meaningful way? Maybe, maybe you can identify with how I feel about that. I don't know. But like I said, like I said, we're listening today for what God wants to say to us through the life of Mary Magdalene. And, and I believe that, that Mary Magdalene's story and her life answered that question. Would God choose to work through me? Or would God choose to work through you? You see, Mary had the honor and the privilege to be the first human being to see the risen, glorious, and victorious Christ. She was the first human being to see him. Um, and so we're going to look at that today and kind of look at that encounter and the things that, that happened in and through that. And, and so I would invite you, if you want to turn to John chapter 20, while you're turning there, I'm going to um, just give a little background, okay? It's early in the morning on the third day after Jesus was killed. 
And Mary Magdalene and some other women who were with her, they kind of power walked over to the tomb that morning. They had their burial spices and they wanted to complete the burial, the, the Jewish ceremonial um, customs for the burial of Jesus. And they get there, they get to the tomb and they are shocked and they are horrified to find that the seal on the tomb has been broken, the stone has been rolled away, and Jesus' body is missing. It is gone. And so Mary rushes off to find the other disciples to tell them about it, and, and some of them, they rush back to the tomb, and they, they find that Mary's outrageous claim that it is actually true. And after a bit of discussion, they all head home, except for Mary. Mary stays at the tomb, and that's where we jump into our passage today, starting in John 20, verse 11. And it says, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and she wept. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? And she said, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you were looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I'll come and get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, and then she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And then Jesus said, don't hold on to me yet. I've not ascended to the Father. Go instead and, uh, and tell my brothers, tell them I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with this news, and she said, I have seen the Lord. And she told them all that he had said, all these things that he had said to her. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, we learn from Scripture that Mary was having a pretty bad day. And she didn't want to leave the scene of the crime because Jesus' body was still missing and so she stayed there. She stayed there standing outside of the tomb crying while still attempting to do some detective work. Now, whenever I read the Bible, I try to kind of picture it, imagine it in my mind. That helps me to understand more about what is, what is going on. And, and so I imagine at this point, as Mary is standing outside of the tomb, that she is, she's not just having a little cry. She's probably hysterical in, in her crying. And she, she's been looking now, it's probably been several hours, she has found the, the empty tomb. So she's been looking for several hours for Jesus. Um, she's really distressed. She's probably sobbing uncontrollable, Right? She's, she's in this state, yet she is still on mission. She is still trying to find Jesus' body. But she's really upset too, 
really upset. It's hard to, hard to be on mission when you're so upset, right? And then, um, once again, she looks inside the tomb. There she finds two angels sitting in the tomb. They, they have a conversation. They're like, hey, what's wrong? And she says, well, duh. Someone's taking Jesus' body, right? And then before the angels even have a chance to respond, Jesus steps in to satisfy Mary's inquiry. And, and the passage says that she turns around, she turns away from the tomb, and she sees Jesus. And, I mean, this is, this is an amazing moment in world history, right? She sees the risen Jesus. But then she kind of messes up this moment a little bit, <laughs> right? She's the first human being to put her eyeballs on the risen, victorious Lord Jesus and she mistakes him for the gardener. I mean, don't you just hate it when you rise from the dead and your friends don't recognize you? Don't you just hate that? Right. That's what happens to Jesus here. But, but Mary's estimation was far too small. And it was only when Jesus called her by name that, that she realized who he really was. And, and then she realized she had just won the most epic game of hide-and-seek ever in world history, right? She found risen Jesus. He was, his body was not actually missing, right? He was alive. He was alive. And, and, then, and then she moves forward to embrace her Savior, right? To have a hug with Jesus, and then there's this interesting exchange that happens because instead of kind of hugging it out with Mary, Jesus doesn't, right? Jesus actually says, Mary, don't hold on to me. Don't hold on to me. It's not, not time yet. And then he gives her a task. He gives her a mission. He says, go and tell my brothers. Go and tell my brothers, right? Go and tell people that, that I am alive. Tell them what you found. And when I read that, I find it's a little strange, this whole don't touch me, right? That Jesus doesn't hug it out with Mary, right? Um, because I would guess that most of us can totally relate to how Mary was feeling, right? That it's good to be with Jesus. It's good to embrace Jesus. That response to want to embrace Jesus, I mean, I think we would all be tempted to want to do that in this particular situation. It's just so good to be with Jesus. It's so good to worship Jesus. It's so good to sit with Jesus. That's what Mary wants to do, to just spend time with him. But, but Jesus just, he gives Mary another assignment. He tells her to do the complete opposite of what she was wanting to do. She wants to hug him, to spend time with him. And he tells her to go, to leave him, right? To go away and to be his resurrection witness. That's what Jesus tells Mary. And, and I, think, I think in a way a, a similar scenario plays out in the church even today. And what I mean by that is that, you know, so many of us as believers, we, we want to hang out with Jesus. We want to be in his presence. And I mean, it's not that there's anything wrong with that. It's good. We, we want to be in Jesus' presence. But, but that is not the only thing that we as the church are called to do, right? Just to have this hug moment with Jesus. It's, it's, I mean, of course we want to do that, and it's good. It's a good thing, but it's not the only thing that the church is called to do, right? I mean, the church's only role is not, not just to enjoy Jesus. It is, but it is, it is even more 
than that. That's not our only function as a church. <clears throat> now, in the resurrection, Jesus rises from the grave, and then for 40 days, he has this sort of encore moment on the earth, right? He's appearing to different people. He's giving some teachings to different people. And then on the 40th day, it's the ascension of the Lord. He ascends back into heaven. And, and then before he ascends into heaven, we know that he kind of gathered his followers together and he gave them some, he gave them some marching orders, if you will. And he said something like this. He said something like, just stay where you feel most comfortable. And if you really, really, really feel like it, and if you're feeling 100% brave about it, right, make the occasional sort of covert um, hints about me to other people. And, and then he said something like, one day when you get the whole Bible, just treat it like a buffet, right? Like pick and choose the parts you like, the parts you like, take those, the parts you don't like, ignore those. Did Jesus really say that? No, no, Jesus didn't say that. That's not in the Bible. Instead, the resurrected Jesus gathered, he gathered his, his followers and he instructed them and he said something like this, something like what we find in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, right? He, he instructed his followers to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, right? What's that called? The Great Commission. All right. Sarah, Sarah is with it. We're like in sync here this morning. Um, the Great Commission. That's what that, that's what that is called. Now, one scholar said this about the Great Commission. I thought this was interesting. He said, tragically, over the centuries, the Christian community has shown a far greater interest in sitting at Jesus' feet and holding on to him amid the comfort of his presence. And I mean, that's a not a bad thing to do, but, but he said, instead of, we want to do that, instead of going out to the world to share the good news with broken, needy hearts who have a valid claim to know that he is alive. Now, I know a lot of Christians, and they, they hear the Great Commission, or they read the Great Commission, and, and they think that it really doesn't apply to them, Right? But I don't know. I, I feel like this is kind of an important part of the Bible. It seems like that. And so I think it's important that we are really sure about whether the Great Commission applies to us individually or not. And so in order to help us with that, I have created a tool to help us understand and to know with certainty whether or not the Great Commission applies to us individually. And so I created a Great Commission quiz. And we're going to take the Great Commission quiz this morning to help us understand if, if the Great Commission really applies to us individually or not. Okay? I know some of you probably have test-taking anxiety. It's a pretty easy test, so don't worry. Don't worry. Um, so here we go. The Great Commission quiz. Is it yeah, right here? So, first question. 
Are you a Christian believer who is currently alive? So think about your answer to this first question. Is your answer yes or no? And, and then I would just say, is everybody ready? You have your answer? Okay, good. So if you answered yes to that question, then congratulations, the Great Commission applies to you today. That's the Great Commission quiz, right? It's really that simple. Jesus doesn't complicate it. We sometimes complicate it, but, but, but Jesus basically says, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to follow me, then the mandate is to go and to tell others the good news. The author David Platt, he wrote a really challenging book. It was called, called Radical. Anybody remember that book? It's a pretty short book. I think it was around, I think it was around 2010 when, when Platt wrote this book. It kind of made a big splash back then. Sort of dates me, I guess. But, um, but he said this in response to the Great Commission. David Platt said, I could not help but think that somewhere along the way we had missed what is radical about our faith and replaced it with what is comfortable. My biggest fear, he says, even now, is that I will hear Jesus' words and I will walk away content to settle for less than radical obedience to him. It's David Platt, radical. It's really common, you know, for us to put up disclaimers when it comes to, to the Great Commission. It's really common for us to say things like this, but, uh, but God... I don't have the gift of evangelism. All right, you ever heard that one? Or to say things like this, um, God, I'm not really called to be a missionary. I mean, that family over there, I think they are. But I'm not really called to be a missionary. Or maybe we say things like this, Jesus, really, I want to go, but you know, first, I've got to get kind of my life in order, my, my job, my career path, make sure my finances are good, all of these things. I need to make sure all that's just right. Then I can go. Or maybe you've heard people say something like this, <coughs> I'm a little sick today, God. I, I, can't, I can't go. Can you imagine if you were one of the 12 disciples, you could never use that excuse with Jesus. Jesus says, here's our, here's our project, here's our mission for the day. <clears throat> kind of sick, Jesus can't go. You're healed. Okay, let's go. Right? You can never use that excuse. Right? Couldn't get out of anything with Jesus. Um, but we, we tend to use these excuses, right? And Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene, she... she could have made a lot of actually valid excuses for why she couldn't go and do this, do this task, do this mission that Jesus had called her to, to go and to tell the others that he had risen from the dead. Now, for starters, she had a valid, she would have had a kind of a valid excuse in, in this way, in that she was a woman. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, right? There's nothing wrong that she was a woman, but back then in first century Israel, it was a man's world. It was a man's world. And women lived with significant social limitations. And in fact, Jewish law said that women were unfit witnesses and, and they would not permit a woman to be a witness in a court of law. And so there were some significant social limitations at the time that Mary could have easily said, you know, it'd be better to get somebody else to do this task, Jesus. But Jesus here, 
he is actually doing something phenomenal. He is taking the hottest news story in world history and he is giving it to Mary. He is giving it to a woman. But considering the social context, Mary would have been an unusual choice to be a witness. But I love how much Jesus is countercultural in giving this command to Mary. He, he valued Mary as a human being, and he valued Mary as a Christ follower, and he valued her as a, as a witness to tell the others that he was alive. I love that about Jesus. Now, having said that, I mean, if I were Jesus, and if I had just risen from the dead, and, and please understand, I know I'm not, I'm not Jesus, but just say play along with me. If I were Jesus, and if I had just risen from the dead, I mean, I think I would have wanted to announce the message with a lot more pizzazz. I mean, if I were Jesus, right? A more awe-inspiring way. First, I would probably be wearing a cape. It would have like a big J on the back of it. I would be flying through the sky. I would make sure that everybody in the whole world saw me The angels, they would be shouting, look, it's the real Superman. It's Jesus. Right? And then at that point, there would be probably fireworks going off. I would probably have some angels like on the clouds, and they would be doing those Olympic-type dives, you know, with all the twists and flips from the clouds. And maybe I would also have some of those fancy horses. What do you call those horses? The ones that do the real high steps? kind of going around throughout the sky as part of it. Some really amazing stuff. And all of the angels would be shouting, and they would be saying, they would be saying, Jesus is victorious in your face, Satan, right? Stuff like that. But, I mean, that's just me, right? That's just me. But Jesus, he's not showy like that. Jesus chose to make his announcement, to give this news to the most unbelievable witness, to someone who outsiders would have like a predisposition to disbelieve solely based on her gender. Jesus chose to give the message to her. And, And so all of that is to say that Mary certainly could have legitimately said, look, Jesus, there's some social limitations that make it problematic for me to be your, your witness, so you should probably get someone else. But, um, but, but also, she could have used the excuse or the limitation of her background. Mary had kind of a checkered past. The Gospels tell us that before Jesus got a hold of Mary, that she was demon-possessed, and in fact, that Jesus cast seven demons out of her. And so she was a severely afflicted woman, and everybody knew it. She kind of had this this past, right? Because um, in Scripture, whenever they talk about Mary, they would often say, you know, the Mary who had the, the seven demons, that Mary. She's kind of remembered that way. And so everybody knew about her past. Her past, you know, like, like us, if you've got a, some stuff in your past, you know, our past follows us around, and Mary's past followed her around. And when she did go and tell the others that Jesus had risen, if you remember Luke's account of this, she went in Luke 24, and then they didn't believe her. They said, it's like she's telling us an idle tale, right? We're not sure about Mary here. She's got 
this path. Not the best witness. Oh, you know, in the first century, who would believe a woman with a troubled past being a witness? And so Mary had many limitations that she could have used to, to not take the message that Jesus had commanded her to take. How about you? How about you? What, what do you feel disqualifies you from being useful to Jesus? You know, if you were to write it all down right now, what, what, would, you, what would you write down? Maybe some things that you feel like disqualify you from being a witness for Jesus. Maybe it's something in your past, something that fills you with shame or guilt or regret. Maybe it's something you did to someone else or something someone else did to you at some point along the way. Maybe it's some spectacular failure or mistake that you made in your life. Maybe it's something in the present. Maybe it's like you show up and you feel like you're not very gifted, right? I'm, I'm around these other people. Wow, he's really gifted with God's word. She's such a good evangelist, right? I'm not gifted like they are. Or maybe you feel like you lack a certain charisma that's needed to be a witness for Jesus. But whatever it may be, remember this. Remember that Jesus chose Mary to be his resurrection witness in this massive moment of history in spite of the limitations that Mary had. Jesus still chose her. You know, God often works that way, doesn't he? He often, in scripture, he often chooses the most unlikely, the most messed up, the least qualified people in the kingdom. It's kind of how God rolls. I don't know what else about that, but that seems to be the kind of people that he often uses throughout scripture. And that means, it means that God can work through you. And it means that God can work through me in spite of our limitations, in spite of our shortcomings, right? We serve a God who creates and who heals and who redeems and who restores, amen? We serve that kind of God. And so there is, you know, I would say there is nothing in your life past or present or future that, that you could bring to God as some kind of insurmountable obstacle for him to use you for furthering, for advancing his kingdom. You know, if you've got something, I mean, just give it to God. He can use that. He can use it. And, and you, know what, you know what's so encouraging? When it comes to playing our part alongside God, what's encouraging about it is, is that, you know, it's never about us. It's never about what we have to bring, but it's always about him. And it's always about what he brings and about his wonder-working power working in and through us. Isn't that amazing? And isn't that wonderful? Amen, yeah. So Jesus called Mary to a mission, and despite all of the reasons why she couldn't or she shouldn't do it, she was faithful, and she went, and she did do it. She did it. She surrendered. She proved trustworthy. She was willing, and she was obedient to respond to the call. 
Amen to that, right? So Mary's story, it is one of obedient surrender to Jesus. Now imagine, imagine what our church could be like, right? If every single one of us took Jesus' call and and his call to the, the Great Commission that seriously, imagine. And so today, you know, if you are a believer, I, I think Jesus has a couple of things to say to you if you are a believer. The first is this. Jesus is asking you, will you go and will you tell people that I have risen from the dead? I think today Jesus is asking you that. And because Jesus is risen, it means that there is life, right? There is life for those who are spiritually dead. There is life for those who are relationally dead. There is life for those who may feel emotionally dead. There is hope because he has the the last word. There is hope and we can flourish. And and y'all, that is why we go. That is why we go. We don't do it out of obligation. We don't do it out of drudgery. We don't do it because we have to. But it comes out of a place of having experienced God's grace and God's life and God's forgiveness in our own lives. And then we want people to know that. We want people to know that same hope. And that is the motivation to go. So Jesus asked that, will you go, will you tell people that I have risen from the dead? And and, and he also asks us a second question today. I believe Jesus is asking a second question, and it is this. Will you allow me to move your heart for the lost? Will you allow me to move your heart for the lost? To awaken within you a sense of urgency and a sense of desperation to see people encounter Jesus. I think Jesus is asking us this today. Now, the prince of preachers, you know who that is, the prince of preachers? It's Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, he was an English preacher. He's called the prince of preachers, right? He said this, he's quoted as saying this. He says, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, Let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. It's from Charles Spurgeon. I I find that incredibly challenging and incredibly powerful. Church, are we awake? Are we awake and, and deeply moved by the multitudes of people in our own city and in this world who don't know Jesus? Are we awake to that, to that reality? And does it bother you? I mean, if you're really honest, does it bother you that You may know people. They may be in your family. They may be in your friend group. That You may know people who don't know Jesus, who are separated from him. I mean, does that move you? 
And if it doesn't, are you asking, are you praying to God to change your heart? Because you know what? What's really cool about God is he will. He will change you. He will transform you. He will change your heart. So, so, how trustworthy are we being? How trustworthy am I being? How trustworthy are you being with the Great Commission and the command to go and to do what Jesus has asked us to go and to do? How trustworthy are we being? And what might that look like for us? What might our going out look like? Right? What skills and talents and gifts do you have that you could offer to God as a means to connect with people outside these walls? Now, I know, I know some people in this church who felt that impulse and they started, I think it was, I think it was last, just last year, they started the, the food bank for this church, right? It's an opportunity to, to meet the human needs of people, for people that may be experiencing food insecurity, to bring them food. And it is that, but it's so much more, right? It's an opportunity also to connect with people and to share the gospel with people who may not know Jesus. And it gives that, it gives a, a way to do that. There's people in our church that have, that have done that. Um, I, I, I recently heard some stories about, um, about people in our church. This was in the past, I don't know, like 30, 30 years ago or something, people in our church, they're no longer here, but they were doing Bible translation to a, a people group somewhere out in the country, and, and they lived among them, and they learned about them and their culture and their language, and eventually were able to translate the Bible into their language and share the gospel with, with them. I mean, some of you might have been doing that kind of work. I think there was quite a bit of that going on in Guatemala in the past. I mean, what an amazing, what an amazing way to, to be able to share Jesus with people that haven't had the opportunity to know about Jesus, right? It's really pretty profound. I know of one individual in our church who was faithful to just go out and to just share Jesus with whoever he encounters, right? I mean, something that probably makes many of us, makes me uncomfortable to do that, right? Just encounter somebody on, on the street, share Jesus, give them a track. I'm, I'm thankful for people like that. I wish, you know, more of that would like infect us, Right? Um, that we would be doing that. I, know, I, know, I knew of one person who would just um, do pickup soccer games in his community. And it was a way to get some exercise, but it was also a way to get the kids out and to play soccer with them and ultimately to build relationships with people in his neighborhood in order that he might share Christ with them. And just to say, it doesn't have to be complicated, Right? Well, translating the Bible into another language, that's probably complicated. Those others are not, right? It doesn't have to be complicated. Perhaps you're going out, out of these walls will simply look like inviting someone, inviting a friend to have coffee and to, and to offer to pray for them or to invite them to a time to study the Bible, right? Or maybe, you know, I don't know, we're already about halfway through the year, you know, maybe at Christmas time, invite them to come and sing carols at church. That's a time of year when people are pretty open to those kinds of invitations, right? It could be something like that. I, th I think sometimes we underestimate the ways in which God wants us to go and to tell people. And I think often we 
overcomplicate the ways in which we think God wants us to go tell people. It can be pretty, it can be pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Maybe, you know, maybe your way will just be going and helping, you know, in some um, practical way to, to help someone in need. Maybe it's simply to offer a, a listening ear to someone who is hurting and needs someone to, to talk to. Maybe for you, it's going to be going on a mission trip, you know, a national or an international mission trip. I'm so thankful. I mean, um, Nicole Calderon in the back there, she was recently on a mission trip up near uh, NHL. Um, it's wonderful. Uh, our own Eber, Eber Morales, he's on a mission trip right now with the Global Missions Project in uh, Hungary, Croatia, somewhere else. Serbia, yeah. Serbia, Hungary, Croatia. I mean, isn't, isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? Um, and, and, you know, it's going to be different for each and every one of us because we're different. But we are all called to do it. When Jesus was on earth, he showed us in his life what it looks like to be part of the kingdom. He had a relationship with God the Father. He preached good news. He healed the sick. He comforted the hurting. He released the oppressed. And brothers and sisters, that is what we too are called to do as a church. We are meant to be doing that today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. We are called to do this. And there's so many different ways that we can get out of these walls and that we can do these very things for Jesus and to tell people that he is alive. How is Jesus asking you to go? Have you ever wondered if you could be used by God in a meaningful way? You can. You can. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for your call to each one of us as as, as timid or broken or messed up or, or smart or dumb as, as we are, Lord, that you have called us. We thank you that you've called us to be a part of your great commission people, to trust you and to go and to tell a hurting and broken world that you are alive and that you bring healing and hope and redemption. And Father God, I pray that we would take that seriously as a church and, and whatever particular way it may be for each one of us, and it'll be different, that that we would be obedient to your command, that we would be faithful and trustworthy to the Great Commission in our lives. And so I just pray that you would give us a spirit of confidence, Father God, a spirit of boldness about the task to which you have called us, that your spirit would be upon us and that fears would be dispelled. We thank you for the example of Mary Magdalene. And we thank you that we can listen to you through her life and through her courage and through her boldness. She had every reason to say, no, thank you. Choose someone else. But she was faithful and may we be as well. Thank you, God.